Tessa Sullivan is a remarkable woman. This Aussie is a lawyer and officer of the Supreme Court of Victoria and a casual academic in law at the University of New England. In October 2016, Tessa was appointed as City of Melbourne Counselor. It was then her adventure began and she became the face of the Me Too movement in Australia. I met Tessa and her husband Brendan after he purchased a magnificent historic home online and sight unseen five minutes away from my home. They summered here and would go back to Australia for the summers there. Then COVID hit and now they're stuck. So let's hear from my friend from down under about her journey. Tessa Sullivan from down under as we speak. <laughs> who who can't get back to Stanleytown, Virginia. <laughs> oh, but is dying to go back there. Misses it. W- welcome to the cultural scavenger and we're going to talk more about that uh in a in a moment, but uh you have quite the story. You're a lawyer and an officer of the Supreme Court of Victoria. The your yeah, I don't want to say claim to fame no. because it's really not a claim to fame. But but My you kind of are. I mean, yeah, I mean, you were at the forefront of the Me Too movement in Australia, and in fact, you were the first person to speak out about Lord Mayor Robert Doyle's harassment. And for those that aren't familiar with it, I'm going to let you sort of take us through it. But what gave you to the courage to do that when so many had kept silent about this powerful man? You were appointed as the city of Melbourne councillor, the first person with Thai nationality to ever be elected into government in Australia, which is a, that's a pretty big deal. You were serving in Melbourne government. And then what happened? Well, I was of, you know, I was honored to be part of Melbourne City Council. It's a huge council. It's, you know, portfolio, um, it's economics. It's it's worth, I think, nine percent of the whole country's GDP. Um, you know, it's it's worth four hundred and fifty million. It does so much, um, the city of Melbourne. The constituency is huge. And for all intents and purposes, uh the former Lord Mayor, Robert Doyle, was an excellent Lord Mayor. He was. Um, I, I can't really fault him on that professional front, but he had this really dark and ugly side um, where he, yeah, would sexually harass and indecently insult women, uh, assault women. And that had occurred probably prolifically and for about 40 years, Good dating back God. to time. Yeah, dating back to his t- uh, the time when he was uh, a teacher at Geelong College, which is a well-known college, um, and he actually, in fact, married one of his students, um, and it was sort of well-known that, you know, he was having all these dalliances with the students, that he was a boarding house parent that was, appro- you know, behaving inappropriately, Um and there's a real construct around these people. I mean, I've heard that the principal at the time, Peter Gephardt, who's now passed away, actually knew about Robert Dawes' behaviour and pulled him aside and said, you know, stop doing what you're doing, stop sleeping with the students. Um, but then he got a glowing reference. Which, which you would think, you know, that's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, I guess he took his inspiration from the uh, Animal House movie. Hmm. I mean, the tragedy of it really is that you hear from those former students you know, and the male students are like, they felt like they were in competition with 
um, he was an English teacher at the time with Robert Doyle, you know, for the women's sort of attention. And the women were just sick of his prolific sort of behaviour. Um, but they also say, look, I'm a grandmother now, and it was the 70s, and people just didn't, they just didn't value um, women as much or or their rights, really. It was a misogynistic environment. The school at the time was, I think, all male and progressively becoming uh, co-ed. And that just obviously created this environment that was very dangerous um, and left women really girls, actually girls, just unprotected and vulnerable. We're talking about, you know, 15-year-old, 16-year-old girls. You had no idea about this guy's background when you were... No, and I wasn't even born then. Yeah, I had no idea. He he went into politics and at one point he was almost the, the premier, which is huge in Victoria, Um the Premier of Victoria, uh, who's like a leader of an opposition party. Um, so he was very sort of powerful. And he had done a lot of, you know, he was still sexually harassing women then. Um, and that was, again, very well known throughout the party, very well known um, throughout the people that worked with him. Um, and then he became Lord Mayor, um, you know, nine years in a row, extremely popular. I think he got almost 60% of the vote in the last, um, in the in his last election. And yeah, when he was Lord Mayor, he was doing it, you know, sexually arresting the constituents, the councillors, the staff, and it was sort of this open secret. He was also on the board of Melbourne Health um, and he sexually harassed a doctor's wife uh, and some other women that also worked at Melbourne Health. And so eventually what happened was after I um, resigned and my my actual resignation statement um, and my statement of complaint was leaked to the media almost immediately and it did bring out like an avalanche of women um, and eventually um, because there was the local government act the Melbourne City Council Act the Councillor Code of Conduct were all silent on the issue of sexual harassment um, so it, it led to sort of you know a groundswell of, of changing laws but there was just so many legal issues with really not protecting women or anybody that's been sexually harassed in the workplace. But as I said, more women came forward and it led to a local government investigation into him. It led to a state government investigation into him and it led to a police investigation into historic sex crimes. Um, And he was found guilty of of gross misconduct, of sexual harassment, of indecent assault um, by the local and state government. Yeah, and he's just recently come out in the last three months and actually admitted that he did do it and apologised. And um, But he didn't really apologise to, you know, anyone specific. He just sort of had this sweeping apology for 40 years of bad behaviour to no one in particular. It was um, almost it was almost like, gee, I'm, I'm really sorry that I got caught. <laughs> it was more like he was just sorry for himself, not sorry yeah. for the victim. Help me out with the timeline here. Was the, the Me Too movement in the U.S., had that already started? Did it give you inspiration or encouragement to go forward? I absolutely wanted nothing to do with the movement. I think anybody that has had, um, you know, some type of sexual thing that's happened to them that's really degrading and awful. I mean, I was assaulted, like outright assaulted. Yeah. I remember going into an audit and risk committee meeting and reading this damning report that basically said that, you know, there was a culture of fear at town hall and that people did not feel protected. 
um, and bringing it up with the CEO and the CFO and saying, you don't have a sexual harassment policy and them going, oh, okay, well, we'll do something about it. And nothing really came. And then also seeing that, for example, the Councillor Code of Conduct said that any type of improper conduct had to actually be um, reported um, and the report reporting process involved going and making the complaint directly to the Lord Mayor. And that was oh, he's the, the, just the, impossible the, if he's the one that's doing it. Of the fox um, guarding the hen house. <laughs> that's right. So and speak. it was really when it got to the pointy end of it, you know, the, the legal part of it, they tried to argue that, you know, there's a duty of care law where uh, organisations have to basically take care of their employees, make sure that they're safe in the work environment, that they've got a certain level of responsibility for them. And um, they argued that basically because I was an elected official, I wasn't actually their employee. And the other part that was really bad was that because the Lord Mayor was the only councillor that was actually under their insurance, um, they ended up paying for his medical insurance they paid for his legal fees. So essentially they're launching this investigation into his behavior and paying for him to litigate against them. Jesus. It was the most absurd sort of triangle. Yeah. And on top of that, they also said because sexual harassment wasn't explicitly listed as improper conduct, then it didn't classify as improper conduct. I mean, if you, wow, it just got to this point where it was like almost like nobody wanted to take responsibility for this and nobody wanted to actually admit how badly they had screwed everything up. Oh, well, you can't um, make that shit up. <laughs> so bad. It was so bad. Um, just, well, yeah, and, 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 the, and the media in Australia, and particularly the Herald Sun, you know, Murdoch's paper, they were they were victim shaming, and it led, I think, to many others to remain quiet. Right? I mean, do you believe it was intentional? Just sort of the good old boys network? Absolutely intentional. And Robert Doyle was actually very good friends with Peter Blunden, uh, the editor Damon Johnson, who essentially ran the Herald Sun. So you know, they compiled. I mean, just to give. Um, the listeners, a perspective of what they did to me. They put a picture of me holding my son at the beach um, on the front page, which, you know, was available off my Facebook. And they had cut and pasted all these text messages that I'd sent, which were group text messages, by the way, to women um, as well as men, like, you know, that you work with, just a bit of a banter, like I'm on holiday and, and you know, I'm on the beach while you guys are like freezing in Australia. I was in Stanley Town at the time. I was at Fairystone Park and they they tried to basically, the second page was something, the first page was, Rob, I'm so lucky to have you, which was the totally unrelated text. Oh, wow. You know, based on some mentorship advice that he'd given me early in my career. And then they had uh, tried to sort of, the next page was awful. It was like a four-page spread and it said, you know, that Tessa Sullivan wouldn't take no for an answer. And they tried to imply that I was some sort of vixen. And, and I mean, they literally used a photo of me and my son to imply that I'd asked for it, that I'd asked for the sexual assault that had happened. And then they would quote, you know, an anonymous counsellor that called me a party animal, which is just ridiculous. Um, you know, mum of three, I'm home, I'm not. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they, they really, really just ripped apart my reputation and they did it for no reason. They never fact-checked anything. Um, they even wrote an article in which they said that I was, you know, implied that I was a stalker and that I changed my name to Doyle, my surname to Doyle. Oh, my God. Because I was so obsessed with him. 
And they didn't even do a simple Google search in which my actual maiden name is Doyle. Like they just mucked it up so badly and they it was just so defamatory and so disgusting, you know, and they have never apologised. They have never actually owned it or admitted it, you know, and I've threatened legal action and I'm still prepared to sue them. I'm still so outrageously angry with them. I'm studying a master's of journalism right now at Harvard and I Yes, that's a good segue. (laughs) Well well the reason why is really I you know, I, I really do believe you need to be the change that you wish to see in the world. And after my experience, and and let's just call it what it is, it's just tabloid crap, really. I mean, and these people, like you said, are not journalists. But essentially, too, there needs to be a larger conversation about the humanity of it. Like, what are you doing? What type of person are you? Like, how do you sleep at night? When I read those articles, I thought, how can these men possibly be fathers to daughters, you know, husbands? to wives, how can they possibly be out there? You know, I'm like, if, if this is the way they write about women, how do they really treat women? You know, how do they raise women? Because they're a disgrace to society. They really are, and it needs to be called out. And that was really the impetus for me to want to, you know, study journalism is that I want to be one of those good and ethical journalists the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Not these sort of disgusting bottom of the barrel. Sociopaths. Yeah, it's not okay. And do they think about the impact that they've had on people? No, they don't. They really, they really don't. You know, and it's inherently misogynistic. Um, It's false. Um, It's sensationalist, but it's just so much more than that. It just, you know, I can't. You know what it is, Tessa? It's, it's cruel. It it is a cruelty cruel. that they don't, they just don't care. You know, with that, how is it going with the Harvard Extension well, School? Well, it's great. And I mean, I'm not. It, it is difficult, actually. I've got a scholarship right now, um, and yeah, I've just finished an internship with Network Ten, which is a one of one of the commercial news channels um, in Australia. I guess in Australia, I feel that apart from the ABC and SBS, we really need a lot more diversity on television. Um, And in particular, I think that we need to have a certain level of credibility behind the reporting. So, for example, you know, I've got a degree in science and, and, you know, I've studied epidemiology, virology, and I think it's important now currently with this pandemic that we have people out there um, that really are credible. I mean, I'm a lawyer and and I don't see many journalists with that sort of background. And I fail to see why they don't actually start to improve the pool of journalists that are reporting, particularly now when we are going through COVID-19. And you need that extra layer of credibility because we are so responsible for what we put out in the news right now. Is there an opportunity, you think, for a Tessa Sullivan to become a contributor or to become a journalist for an ABC. I'd love to. I mean, essentially, at the end of the day, I just want to do great work, but I really want to also have the opportunity to tell people stories. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important. Like, I have been one of those victims that's been voiceless, and you have been one of those people that's been voiceless, and you know how important it is to have someone like a journalist or a reporter that can really give you the voice to put the message out there that you want. 
You know, there's nothing worse than having an interview with a journalist or a reporter and then reading the article or looking at looking at it after and going, that's not what I said at all. And you've actually missed entirely the most important part of it. And I want to be that type of, of journalist that really allows people to, to have that voice and has that forum, you know, for change. Because what the hell are we doing if we're not doing that? Yep. I mean, this is, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Like, let's start getting inspired, people. Let's start making, you know, that change and putting those messages out there. If there's any time to change the world, it's now. People are listening. They're at home. They're in lockdown. Hungry for Would something you, different. Sure. Would you rather be back in public service again, uh, holding office, or would you rather be on ABC? Well, to be honest, that's, that's a loaded <laughs> question. Why not do both? Sure. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> I actually did consider coming up with some sort of party, like an equality party um, in Australia. I really, I really did, you know, because I think that there is just such a huge level of disenfranchisement. Um, like I said, you know, what we have done with um, the Indigenous um, and Aboriginal community is just not good enough. Um, you know, I, I sort of liken it to the your Indigenous um, Indians yeah. um, as well as, you know, uh, situation with your African-Americans. Um, there, there's just a huge sort of discrepancy and unfairness. And the same thing with, with women's rights, that the fact that we're in 2021 and we still have to argue about uh, our rights to our bodies and our right to the same pay, and it's just not good enough. And, and there are so many things like that that I, I think really, really need to be worked on with our government. And I'm just sick of having, I don't know, these politicians that just give you the party line. Like, I want someone honest that's just out there even with this pandemic, they really should just put their hand up and go, oh, we screwed it up. We're so sorry, but this is what we're going to do. We just want someone that's honest, that stands up and goes, this is just bullshit. Like, what have we done here? What well, can we do better? This sounds like a, a stump speech because you've been a change maker thus far. It sounds like <laughs> you, you you have a new party <laughs> and a new platform. Yeah. But I then mean, we I, still I, want you to come back to Stanley Town. <laughs> <laughs> Great to yeah, see you. Yeah, good to see you. And, and I love your background, by the way. I noticed that you moved um, Allison's uh, stuff yes. to yeah. So it's it's perfect for the podcast because you've been my, here before. This is my studio, so yeah, great. So I figured Allison on my shoulder is always a good thing. Yeah, she'd be so proud of you. I think it's great. <sighs> Thank you. I'm, I'm trying to follow in her footsteps. So um, yeah, good on you. Thank you. Good Take good care. It's good to see Barbara. you. I'll do it. Bye. Thank you so much. Yep. Bye-bye. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Mary Ann Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening. <laughs>